Thank you for subscribing to the weekly sermons of Crossfire YC. We are the Youth Church of Crossfire World Outreach Ministries located in Springfield, Oregon. This podcast is updated weekly. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings. How many got your Bibles? Hold them up real quick and show me. 1 Kings. Not doing it. Changing everything up on you tonight. 1 Kings. I always like to start reading the Bible. I think it's a good place to start since we are in church. Uh, I think it's a good place to start. All right, you guys in 1 Kings chapter 20? 1 Kings chapter 20. 1 Kings chapter 20. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right, that's enough amens for now. 1 Kings chapter 20, starting in verse 26. We okay? All right. All right, verse 26. The next spring, Ben-Hadad mustered the Armenians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. When the Israelites, that's a funny word, don't you think? When the Israelites were also mustered and given provision, they marched out to meet them. The Israelites camped opposite them like two small flocks of goats while the Armenians covered the countryside. The man of God came up and told the king of Israel, this is what the Lord says, because the Armenians think that God is a God of the hills. Uh, if, you got your, if you got your Bibles with you and you got a pen or, or crayon or highlighter or whatever, uh, that, that word because there is really, really huge, and we'll get to it in a little bit as to why. But Because the Armenians think the Lord is a God of the hills and not the God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands, and you will know that I am the Lord. For seven days... They camped opposite each other, and on the seventh day, the battle was joined. Say joined. I know that you're already here. We we felt your presence in worship, and we're excited about it, God. But we pray that you would take that even further. God, help us to, to, to learn more about you. God, as your word goes forth, I pray that we would be changed and challenged to be more like you. And we just thank you for this opportunity. We We are honored that you would choose us to speak to. And we thank you, God. Lord, I pray that we would see Jesus, and as we see him, we would become more like him so that the world could see him through us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. The title of tonight's message is God of the Valley. God of the Valley. Could you all repeat that? Maybe tell your neighbor that the God that we serve, the God that we were worshiping tonight, that he is, here's what you're going to say, the God of the Valley. Now, a valley... When we look at a valley in the Bible, it's, it, it's kind of an interesting word because really when we think of a valley, we think, hey, we live in, in the Willamette Valley. We, we live in a valley, and it's not really that big of a deal. But in the Bible, a valley represents a low time in your life, a, a dry time, if you will, a hard time, okay? And, and, and God is in this, in tonight, what I hope that God is going to bring out, that as much as God is the God of a mountaintop experience, he is also the God of the valley. See, a mountaintop experience for us, the best way that I can describe it or explain it, is a mountaintop experience for us would be when we go to a camp or a conference or something like that, and we literally get so touched by God that we have really no options but God. We're just like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what happened. I just love Jesus. We like have no, like we're just like, I don't know, I cried for like six hours at the altar, and I don't really know what I'm going to do. I need, my, my parents are still back in my house, but I just love God. I don't really know what's going to happen. I just love God. We get up and we share the testimonies after camps, and we're like, oh, man, my, man, I've been totally changed. This is totally awesome, man. It's, it's incredible, and I just, I just love God with my whole heart. And we have an incredible moment 
an incredible time with God that literally lifts us and makes us feel like that we could never be separated from God. And makes us feel like nothing in our lives, nothing could come and could separate us from the love of God. And we literally have these mountain time experiences, these high times in our lives where we feel like it's all good, it's always going to be good, and our relationship with God will never fail, we'll never have struggles, it'll never be dry, it'll never be hard. It's all going to be good, it's all going to be amazing. And we have these camp times where we get these feelings, wow, I'm starting out early, I'm not supposed to, like, usually you go into it slow, but I, I guess I really feel like preaching tonight. So, listen, here comes... These incredible times with God. But just as important for a time for us in our lives with God as those mountaintop experiences with God are the valley experiences. A valley is inevitable. As much as we try and avoid them and try and smile and try and act like there's nothing wrong in our lives, every person on this planet goes through valleys. Ever see the commercial with the guy who's like, who's like got the, like the permanent frown on his face? And they're like trying to like, here's when you won the lottery and he's got the frown. And here's when you went on vacation and he's got the frown. And they're like, it's time for an intervention. Am I the only one that's seen that commercial? Okay. All right. So that illustration does not work at all. Let's move on. <laughs> but listen, man, there, there's some people that are like, that, that constantly feel like they're in a state of a valley. And there's some people that completely deny the fact that they ever go through valleys. They're just like happy all the time. You know what I'm saying? And you just want to smack those people, don't you? Like, they're just, no matter what's going on in their lives, they're like, oh, God, this is good. I love life. It's so amazing. And you're like, shut up and act like you actually have feelings and you actually have emotions and the things that are happening to you actually matter. But we all go through these valley times. We, we react differently to them. I'm going to be, I'm going to read a scripture to you. And it, it, it literally is not, um, it's really not one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Okay. Uh, but I want to read it to you. It's found in James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I've got to be honest with you. That is not my favorite scripture in the Bible, okay? Because, listen, if it was like, okay, endure hard times, okay, make it through, grit down and just make it through those hard times, but it's literally telling us that we're supposed to look at the hard times and the trials in our lives and the valley experiences, and we're supposed to look at those things with not just joy, okay, because it would be bad enough if we were just supposed to have joy and be happy in those situations, but pure joy, Like the most joyful we're supposed to be and the most pure joy that we're supposed to express is in a valley time, is in a trial, is in a hard time. And to me, maybe it's just me, but that's like, come on, God, seriously? Like I will try my best to make it through. I know that, God, I'm on a journey with you. I know that you're taking me somewhere. I know that I can't always live on mountaintops. I know that in order to go somewhere with you, to be on an active pursuit after Jesus, there's going to be some times where it's hard. But, God, you're telling me that in those times that it's hard, I'm actually supposed to be happy about it. Like does anybody else read that scripture and just go, come on, God? Like, that is way too much for you to expect from me. But it's not just about, he doesn't just say, look, look at trials, and you got to look at trials with pure joy. 
Consider it pure joy. Look at it with pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. But he says this and he adds this to it because we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. And perseverance is going to work in us and make us mature and complete so that we're not lacking anything. That means this, that unless we go through trials and hard times in our lives, our relationship with God will be lacking. Because in the journey with God, in our, in our opportunity to mature with God, we have to go through times that test and challenge our faith. Because when we've gone through those times, our faith can come out on the other side of those valley moments stronger than it could have been before. See, we were lacking the strength. How many of you guys know somebody who works out? How many of you guys know somebody who just loves to work out? Just loves it. How many of you guys are the person that loves to work out? You just love it. You dig it. It's awesome. You love working out. It is so much fun. Listen, I've never met a person who actually physically likes working out. I've met people who like being strong. I've met people who like looking good. I've met people like Jet who like to say, come on, man, feel my pecs. Feel them. Come on, feel them. Feel my pecs, man. Right here. Check them out. I've met people like that. But literally, the agonizing pain that goes into working out. How many of you guys have ever said, you know what, I really want to feel good, I want to look good, so I'm going to start working out? Nobody? Just just me. Okay, another illustration that does not work. (laughs) Come on. we got to respond, vocalize. Trust me, if if you say amen, hallelujah, if you vocalize your opinions during this whole thing, I will preach better. I promise to you, okay? So how many of you guys have ever thought, you know, I'm going to try, I'm going to start trying to make myself look better. I'm going to start working out. I'm going to start doing, you know what's amazing? Probably about the first day that I work out, I feel pretty good. You got that little tightness in your muscles and it feels really good, right? You feel good about it. You work out hard. You're, you're all sweaty. You're like, oh, man, that was, that was pretty good. But then, like, day three, you're like, okay, th- this is too much. Like, I- I've gone beyond that nice, like, feeling of, like, oh, my muscles are tingling. Now it's like I can't lift my arms anymore. Okay, I, I don't like working out. See, we like to look good. We like the end result, but sometimes we don't necessarily like the path that we have to take to get there. It doesn't always feel fun at the moment. Can I tell you, one of the hardest things that I have to do is discipline my daughter. It is absolutely the hardest thing I do in my entire life because she is so stinking cute. And you go to discipline her, and she is just like, ah, daddy, daddy. And you're just like, she's never going to accept me as a father again. She's never going to love me. She's, she's going to hate me for the rest of my life. She's going to go to a psychiatrist. I'm going to pay for her to go to a psychiatrist and talk about how her daddy was mean to her and how he disciplined her. And this, she'll never love me the same way again. Man, that is so hard and it doesn't feel good. But if I want a daughter who doesn't throw herself on the floor in the supermarket and scream and kick, then discipline has to be part of our lifestyle. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like, woohoo, discipline. This is nice. There's nobody going into a valley being like, woo, come on, God, bring on the valley. This is going to be good right now. I can't wait to pray and feel nothing. I can't wait to read my Bible and get nothing. I can't wait. Man, I'm going to get up every morning at 630 in the morning. I'm going to read my Bible and receive absolutely nothing from it. And just do it because I know that's what I'm supposed to do. 
Nobody looks forward to valley times. Nobody considers it pure joy. But here's God in this scripture in James, which is the worst book in the entire stinking Bible. Because it challenges me. And here's God, and he's saying, look at trials with joy, pure joy. Look at this like, wow, this is exciting. God's going to do something. God's going to change me. God's going to train me. God's going to make me a better person. If we don't look at trials and valleys that way, we're just like, oh, man, I'm in a valley time. It's really hard right now. I don't know if I can worship. I'm in a valley time. I don't... I don't really know if I should go to church because I'm really, I'm in a valley time right now. I'm kind of in a dry time with my relationship with God. I don't, I don't know if I should, should do that right now. We look at valley times and we think, man, that's so hard. I think a lot of times when we, when we look about, when we think about the Bible, we oftentimes imagine it as some kind of fairy tale. You know what I mean? But let me tell you, there's a, there's a huge difference between like the Bible and Twilight, okay? The, the, Harry Potter does not compare to the Bible because the stories in the Bible are actually real. Okay? They're of real people that actually lived. And sometimes we read the Bible and we read stories of the, in the Bible and we think, wow, dude, man, that, that must have been kind of hard, but man, look how it ended up. Look how God blessed them. Look how God used that. Let me give you three examples. Joseph. We talked about him a little bit last week. Now, it's easy for us because we know the end of the story, okay? But imagine Joseph in his life as he is sitting in prison for two years. I mean, we can't stand being in school for seven hours. Here's Joseph in prison for two years. And understand something. We look at it. We know he gets released. We know he becomes the second in command of all of Egypt. But he didn't know that at the time. He's in jail for two years, sitting there, just waiting, praying, God, are you going to get me out of this? What's going to happen? David, man, this is a guy who was famous in the city, okay? He, everybody in, in the nation knew who this guy was, okay? They, they, they sang songs about David. This is after he killed Goliath. This is after he was anointed king. And they sang songs about David. They said Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed his tens of thousands, right? So they really pump David up, and they really make David seem like he's this incredible guy. But we find David, after he's killed Goliath, after he's been anointed king, we find David hiding in a cave. Like, we know that, like, David, after this whole thing happens, he becomes king. He's probably the, the best king in Israel's history. But, but he didn't know that at the time. All he knows is the king is trying to kill me. What do I do? Where do I go? Or like Esther. And Esther, you ladies can, I'm throwing Esther out there because i got to have a girl so the ladies can go, woo woo. That was really pathetic for all the ladies in the, in the room. But throwing Esther in there. Like, we know what happens. We know the end of the story, but here's Esther, and she's got her uncle or cousin or whatever, the, whatever Mordecai was to her. She, he's coming up to her, and he's like, listen, you've been called for such a time as this. Now, we know that the king does not kill her, but understand the history of what's happened is the king just banished the old queen, and here comes this new queen. She hasn't even been queen for very long, and all of a sudden, she's going to start breaking the rules and breaking traditions and coming into the king when she's not supposed to. You can be killed for that. Now, we know the king doesn't kill her. So when we read the story, we're in a very positive manner. But listen to what she's doing, man. She's approaching the king 
This is a trial. This is a hard thing for her. And sometimes when we look at other people's stories and we already see that God used them for glory, we look at them and we think, wow, that's so incredible. That's so awesome. Look what God did through their valley. Look what God did through their trial. But when we face trials of our own, we want to give up and quit because we don't know what God's going to do. And because we can't see the end of the valley. Let me give you this promise. Never in the Bible does it talk about how we're supposed to sit, camp, and stay in a valley. A valley is not a place that we're supposed to live or reside. A valley is a place that we pass through. And so we serve the God of the valleys. He is the God of the mountaintop. And as surely as we will have incredible mountaintop experiences and incredible times where God is moving, we cannot live there. Man, I, I grew up in the renewal uh, generation, and so maybe Chris remembers this. Uh, but I, I grew up in the time of renewal, which um, maybe, Jet, you remember renewal a little bit, sleeping on the front pew little bit. But, but remember renewal, and, and I remember renewal, but the amazing thing that, that, that it was like in the, I don't know, early, late 90s, something like that, but, but I remember renewal, and I just, apparently I don't remember renewal as, as well as other people do, because I keep hearing in my life, man, I wish God would bring back renewal. Well, God's not just the God of the mountaintops, he's also going to be the God of our valleys. And so we've got people full of, in churches, and they're like, man, I, just, I wish God would do renewal again. I wish God would just move like he did in renewal. I wish renewal was so great. It was so awesome. That was such a great mountain. And God's like, am I still your God in the valley? Am I, I, I'm the same God that I was at BTI. I'm the same God that, that I was when you were strong. I'm the same God. I'm the same one. It did, it's not like there's a camp God and a church God. And the camp God's fun and popular because he has all the cool rides and he, he, he makes you feel happy and he gives you tingles and he makes you cry. And then there's church God who's boring because he tells you what you're supposed to do and he tells you how to live your life. And it's the same God. And it's only going through valley times that we can become mature and not lacking anything. If we never go through valleys, we will live our relationship with God lacking the very things we need to sustain it. And there's so many people in churches saying, God, I want those mountaintop experiences. I want, I want to live in the mountaintop. But you can't live in the mountaintop because you won't grow in the mountain. It may feel good. It may feel nice. But where growth happens is when our faith is being tested, when our faith is being challenged, when we're working those muscles, when we're trying hard, when we're not giving up. And it feels hard and our arms feel like they're going to fall off. But we continue working. We continue persevering. We continue going after what God has for us because we know that we won't always be in a valley. And there is a mountaintop coming that will last forever. So he is the God not only of our mountaintops, but also the God of the valley. Valleys are not just for Christians. They are reality for every person on this planet. Christians, we approach valleys differently because we know that a valley is going to help us grow. Can I say this? We do not serve a God of labels. He, he's not really big with that. A lot of us, when we, when we meet people, like, if, if, if I just told you, okay, think of, like, your second cousin. Okay, everybody got a second cousin? You can remember? Okay, think of your second cousin right now. Most of us now have a snapshot image of our second cousin or our cousin. Or, or if I was to ask everybody, think of Jet, okay? All the ladies like, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> Y'all got to give me a boo or something, otherwise I'm going to think I was right. Okay, all right. 
So I, I tell you, I put somebody's name out there and I say, okay, think of this person. We all get kind of a snapshot image of that person. And we have basically one thing that we can remember about that person. And we define them by that one thing that we remember about them. People, people are stuck in unforgiveness because they have one snapshot of somebody and they can't get past it. You know, first impressions in our culture are like so important. Their first impressions are so important. I mean, it's their first impressions. But can I tell you, God's not so concerned with first impressions. Because what happens when we say that it's about a first impression and, well, they, they rubbed me kind of the wrong way when I met them, so I don't really like them. What happens with that? If we label people based on one experience or one conversation with them, what happens is we really limit God because God made us all very complex and very different and very unique. And he made us, every person on, in this room, every person on this planet is completely different. We have different emotions and different feelings. We react differently to certain situations. And when we take this snapshot image and this label of people that we've met and we think, okay, this is who they are, this is what they're about. God's not okay with that. But he's more not okay with it when we try and put him in a box, okay? And, and, and our, 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 our culture in America is full of this boxing God up, okay? And trying to determine and describe God by this and saying, this is how God is. This is what God's all about. This is how God reacts. And so... Here's God, and he does not like this whole labeling idea. He cannot be labeled. He is unlimited. He cannot be labeled. Many, try, many people try to put God in a box, and this is basically what happened in this story. Let me give you a quick background of the story. It starts out in, in the very first verse of chapter 20, and this guy, this king, Ben-Hadad, or Hadad, or Help me out. Let's, let's all decide as a group how we want to say his name, okay? You all saw it on the screen? Ben, hey, dad. Hey, dad. We're all good with hey, dad. Okay, let's, let's see the hey, dads. Raise your hands. And how about the huh, dads? All right, I think hey, dads took it. Okay. So, so we're going to go with Ben, hey, dad. So here's this king, Ben, hey, dad. Hey, dad. And, and he is... Uh, He's, he's, not just like, he's not just like a king, but he's like a king of kings. The Bible actually says that there's 32 other kings that like look to him for direction and, and instruction, and, and they basically submit to him, okay? So he's not just a king. He's like a king of kings. And he just decides one day, hey, we got these guys, the Israelites, down there. Let, let's go pick a fight. Right? And that's essentially what, it doesn't give a reason or like, hey, let's do that. It just basically says he's sitting around with his 32 kings, and he's like, hey, Let's go fight the Israelites. Let's see what happens there. Let's, maybe we could, you know, take something. So they come down, and they say he sends a message to Arab, who's the, who's the king uh, of the Israelites. He sends him this message, and he says, here's the deal. I want you to give me your silver, your gold. Okay, you should write these down. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to. Your silver, your gold, your wives, and your children. Okay? And so here, here's King Arab. And he's like, oh, dude, I don't know. I'm sorry, it's not Arab, it's Ahab. Ahab, sorry. Anyways, here's King Ahab, and he's like, I want, your, I want your silver, your gold, your wives, and your children. I want those. And he's like, okay, okay, you can do that, right? And it, like all the ladies are like, come on, man, stand up for us. What's going on? And he, he sends him the message, right? And I don't know if he did it by Facebook or, or, twi- or Twitter or he, like, sent him a text or what. But he, he sends it back and he's like, okay, okay, you can have them. 
And then he goes, okay, well, that was cool. That was easy. Like, he gave that over pretty simply. And he goes, all right, so here's the deal. I'm going to send my guys into your town, and we're going to take everything in your life that you value. Because the devil, if we give him one thing, if we give in in one thing, he's going to come in and take everything. He's not okay with just having a foothold. He wants your entire life. He wants you dead. And so he, he says, I, we're going to take everything that you place value in. We want that. And so Ahab comes back, and he like, sends him the text, and it, it actually tells the story of how Ben-Hadad, they're, they're, they're drinking, actually. They're having a party, okay? And he sends him a text back. He sends him a message, and he says, that ain't going to happen, right? And here's Ben-Hadad, and I'm trying to, like, not mix up the names and be like, all right, but Ben-Hadad's like, come on, man. What is wrong with this guy? All I want is everything that's about. Listen. He sends him a text message back, and this, this whole conversation probably took like six hours because it takes six hours to have a five-minute conversation in text, right? Anybody? No, you guys are all texting, so especially since I lost my BlackBerry. Now I, don't, now I hate texting because it was, it was all right texting on my BlackBerry, but now I hate texting. So anyways, here's this conversation, this back and forth. He's like, if there is, he's all, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if there is enough dust left from, from what I'm going to do to you guys. I'm going to crush you. I'm going to grind you so bad that all of my men that I brought here with me, they will, there will be so little dust left of you that not all of them will be able to take a handful of what's left of you and your kingdom. And now Ahab, he's just like, he's just cocky. I mean, he's just, I, I love probably my favorite quote in the entire Bible. He says, he sends him back, to, he gets that text and he's like, oh man, this, this guy, that really ticked him off. What do I do now? He's like, all right, got to be bad because I'm a, I'm a guy. And this guy just told me he's going to crush my kingdom. I've got to be bad. And he puffs up his chest and he goes, one who, I'm sorry, one who puts on, a, it's a favorite quote. No, it's not really my favorite, but it's one of my favorites. One who puts on his armor should not boast like the one who takes it off. So basically he's saying, look, just because you got all dressed up nice to come out here and fight me doesn't mean you're walking away from this, right? He's basically saying, bring it on, dude. Let's go. Let's get it on. Let's fight. Let's go. And then this man of God comes to Ahab and he says, listen, God's going to deliver it. And here's what you're going to do. 7,000 people fight for Israel against a minimum of 127,000 people that are fighting for this Ben-Hadad guy. All right. And it's a rout, man. It's, it's over. The Israelites win with 7,000 people against 127,000. Okay. So that's kind of like the odds are not really in their favor. Okay. And, but God still helps them. God still gives them victory. And, and, and Ben-Hadad, like it says that he, he was able to get away on a horse and he runs away. Okay. Man of God comes back to Ahab and says, Hey, here's the deal. Uh, they're going to be back and they're going to want to fight again. And when they come back, they're going to want to get it on like it's UFC 15. Man, it's, it's going to be a fight. Any UFC people? No? All right. It, it, it's going to be a fight. We're going to, we're, we're, they're going to get it on. Man, it's going to be, they're, going to, they're going to fight you. They're going to take you out, right? And so Benedict goes back, and he's, he's getting drunk again with his counselors. And I don't know how good a counsel is when you've got a bunch of drunk people around you. It's probably not that good, but they come up with this incredible theology and this credible description of who God is. And they say this, the reason we lost the fight is because their gods are the gods of the mountains, okay? But they don't even give God the respect that he is God. They, they just say their gods are the gods of the mountains. If we get them in the valleys, it's over. 
Their gods will not fight for them in a valley. Their God will not be with them in a valley. If we get them, if we can draw them out into a valley, into a hard time, into a tough time, into a dry time, we can win. Because their God is not the God of the valley. He's, he's just not. They, they're, they're just making these assumptions about who God is. In this story, in 1 Kings chapter 20, they're saying this, and we have people who know nothing about God making assumptions about him. People who don't really, they didn't even recognize him as God. Can I tell you that regardless of what your school tries to teach you, the majority of people in this nation and in this country believe in an absolute power. And because of our history and because of the way that this nation was started, most people have a form of godliness, but they deny the power, the authority of God. And therefore, we make all kinds of false assumptions about who God is. And our country is full of these false assumptions that come from people that say, this is what God is like. This is what God is like. So here they are. And they say, if we draw them out, if we can get them into a valley time, into a dry time, into a hard time, we can win because their God won't be there in the valley. Their God will not stand with them in the valley. But the one thing that you need to understand, valleys are inevitable. But in that valley, God will be there. In that valley, you will never walk it alone. God will walk with you through every hard time, through everything that seems like you can't make it. God is right there cheering you on and saying you can do this. God is right there willing to fight for you. So they make this assumption about God. And they say, listen, he, he won't fight for them in the valleys. In Psalms chapter 23, David, it's a well-known, it's a well-known scripture, but David says this, though I walk, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Yeah, I went all King James on you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now that word fear is talking about, he, he's saying, look, I'm not going to be in, afraid. I'm not going to be in awe. I'm not going to be amazed. I'm not going to give reverence to evil. Now listen, it's not just like he's like, I'm walking through a valley and there's a shadow, okay? Yeah, I'm walking through a valley and it's kind of cloudy out. I can't see the sun. He's saying this is the valley of the shadow of death, okay? This is not a good place for him to be. This is not an exciting time in his relationship with God. This is not the times that you write in your testimony like, oh yeah, I'm so excited. This is a hard time for David. And he says this, I know and I will fear no evil. Why? For, because you are with me. You are there in my hardest times. You are there in my dark times. You are there in my valleys. And regardless of what anybody says and regardless of whatever you've been taught, we serve a God not just of mountaintop experiences. If he was there in the mountain, he'll be there in the valley. He does not abandon us to the valley to make it by ourselves. As a matter of fact, the entire world existed in a valley. So God came down from the mountaintop of heaven, put himself on the cross, joined him in the valley, and lifted us up out of the valley. Because we didn't deserve it on our own, and we couldn't earn it on our own, and there was no way that we could crawl out of the pit and the garbage that we had found ourselves in. So he came down into the valley with us. 
And here is these people making these assumptions about God. And saying, he met, he's the God of the mountaintop. He's the God of when it's good. He'll be your God when it's good. You can give him glory when you've got money. You can give him glory when things are going good in your relationships. You can give, him good, you can give God glory when you've got a great boyfriend. You can give God glory when, you, when all your friends are, are being nice to you. You can give God glory when the time is good. But when it gets bad, you better stay out of church. When it gets bad, you better not show up. When it gets hard, you're on your own. And God won't be there for you. It's interesting if you look at the history of Israel. Israel actually started as one nation, okay? They had three kings as one nation. They had Saul, David, King David, pretty popular guy in the Bible, and they had Solomon, David's son. Now Solomon, his heart was divided, and so eventually when you have a divided heart, your kingdom will be divided. And so his kingdom was divided into two nations, Judah and Israel, okay? And Israel had 19 kings before it was taken off into captivity. Every single one of them evil, and bad. Every last one of the kings that we read about in, in, in like the book of First and Second Kings, every one of them that we read about, all bad. All of them. There's not one that it's like, and they did a good job for God. And Ahab is probably the worst of the 19 kings. And yet here is God. He, he has legal right to abandon them. Because of the covenant that he made with that nation, they started and began to worship idols, and they began to, they began to worship carved images, and they began to, to, to ignore God and, and reject God. And so he had every right to abandon them and leave them in the valley that they put their self in. And yet, he stays. And yet, he continues. Because God's acceptance and God's love is not based on our performance and what we do. It's based on him and what he's done. And God is passionately defending his own name. I think I'm going to skip a lot of things, so I want to look at my notes real quick. See, a lot of people think that God is our God when we're doing good. It, and the assumption that they're making is that God will be God of the valleys. And, and a lot of times in the Bible we read that Israel was God's chosen people. But you've got to understand, even though Israel was God's chosen people, God is God of the entire earth. Both mountaintops and valleys. God does not have a certain group of people that he is God of. He is God of everyone. See, we don't, we don't serve an American God. We serve God. We don't serve a Western God. We serve God. We don't serve a white man's God. We serve God. We don't serve a black man's God, a Chinese man's God. We don't serve some kind of God of a certain group of people. We serve the God of the entire universe. And he is God of everyone, both people in mountaintops and people in valleys, both people that have accepted him and people that have rejected him. He is still God. And he is passionately defending his own name and his own honor and his own glory. It is not something that he takes lightly. It's not something that he's just like, oh, they trashed it. Oh, man. Darn it, Ben, ben Dad. He, made, he said I'm the God of the mountains but not the God of the valley. He's like, this like ticks him off. 
He's like all mad about this. Like, how dare he say that I am the God of only the mountains and not the God of the valleys? How dare he say that I am only God in this situation and not every situation? How dare they put me as God on Wednesday nights but not on Thursday mornings? How dare I be their God only once a week? I am God, almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth, and I will passionately defend my glory. I will passionately defend my honor because he is God and we are not. And so many of us have, God has legal right. He has the ability and the reason because we've sinned. He has got the, uh, the right to turn his back on us and say, fine, be to your own destruction, kill yourself. And yet he says, I am God. And because I'm God, I'm going to take people in a valley and give them victory. Because when people in a pit and people who are nobodies start doing incredible things, then all people can do is look at the nobodies and realize that there's somebody behind them. That's how we represent Jesus. Because in and of ourselves, we're nobody. We're not anything. We're not significant. We're we're sinners And we have nothing to offer to God, and yet he uses us because in using us, he can build his own name and his own glory. Because people will look at us and think, wow, I knew Pastor G when he was a teenager. He was like five foot four, stonewashed black jeans, way too tight. Sat down and you could see his socks, which were, had the big red stripes on them. But you could see his socks because his jeans were too short. And he says, I'm going to use that guy because if I use that guy, nobody can say it's about him and everybody will realize it's about me. So I'm going to use somebody in a valley. I'm going to give victory to people in valleys. I'm going to give victory to people who are having hard times. I'm going to give victory to people who are going through trials. I'm going to give victory to people who have sinned, who have failed, who have messed up because when people look at them, they'll realize it's not about them and it's all about me. And he will passionately defend his honor and his name. We don't need to stand up for God. He'll stand up for himself. We don't uphold God. He holds us up. That's biblical. The acceptance and the love of God is not based on our performance. God showed up because he was zealous for his name. He will not have people say of him, that he is only there in the good times. He will be there in the dark times. He will be there in the hard times. Let's look back at verse 28 in 1 Kings 20. Verse 28. The man of God told the king of Israel, this is what the Lord says. Because the Armenians think the Lord is the God of the hills and not the God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. Two words I want you to notice because. What's the reason? The cause of God being there, because the cause of him being there was because they were talking bad about him. Not because Israel had earned it. Not because Israel had done anything to deserve it. Not because they were good or righteous, but because there were people trashing his name. And he says, I will defend my own honor. I will defend my name. The reason I'm here is because they're saying this about me. And 
when it's all said and done, I like the different versions. They read a little different than the NIV. The NIV says and, but the other versions say then. The Armenians think that the Lord is the God of the hills and not the God of the valleys. I will deliver this vast army into your hands. And other versions say then you will know that I am the Lord. After God gives them victory, they know he's God. Then you'll know that I'm God. See, we'll know that he's God. He'll give us victory in the things that we're going through. He'll give us victory in our valleys, even though it feels hard, even though it feels like we can't make it. He's still there. He's still fighting for us. Because when it's all said and done and when he brings us out of the valley, we'll know that it's all about him. That he's the Lord. See, here's this nation that has literally turned their back on God and they began to worship things that are absolutely worthless, carved images, idols, and they began to worship these things, turn their back on the God who created them, the God who gave them the land, the God who gave them the promise. And they turn their back on him and he says this, I'm going to come down and defend my name and then you will know that I'm the Lord. You'll know that I'm God. You'll know that it's about me and not about you. See, they didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. God's saying, I'm going to show up so that you'll know that it's me. Israel killed 100,000 people in the battle that day. They come out, you know, Benedict comes back, they're fighting. 100,000 people, they go down, right? And the Bible described it, two small herds of goats, and, and then they covered the entire land, you know. So this, they're, they're outnumbered. Once again, it's, it's kind of an unfair fight. And they kill 100,000 people. 27,000 people flee and run and hide, okay? And a wall falls on them. Don't you hate it when that happens? <laughs> like, you just survived this massive battle. You made it out alive, and you're good. And all of a sudden, I can imagine God reaching down from heaven and being like, doop. Because if they're going to die by a wall falling, it has to be God. 100,000 people died in this battle in this day, and 27 people that flee and run away, and they're they're like, oh my gosh, we're out of here. God finds them. A wall finds them wherever they're hiding and decides to fall on them. Because God is passionate for everyone to know that he's God and we're not. That it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. It has nothing to do with our position, our location, our history, our pedigree. It all has to do with God. And no matter what we've been through, no matter what we're going through, God is there. And he will defend his name. He will defend his honor. And he'll take the glory. He'll receive the honor. Let's, let's bring this down to where we're at today. What does this mean to us today? Because obviously we read the story. It's a, it's a pretty cool story. But what does it really mean to us today? What is God trying to say to us in our lives today? We will all go through valley times. We established that at the start of the message. We're all going to go through hard times. Some of us are probably in those hard times right now. And although we read the stories, and although we hear the messages, and although we, we, we get an idea of it when we read our Bibles, it's still hard sometimes when we're in the middle of a valley to realize that God is there. And so the one thing that I think God is trying to say to us tonight is I'm there. 
you don't deserve me to be there. You're not good enough. You didn't, you didn't earn me to come. You, 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 you turned your back on me. You don't deserve this, but I'll still show up. I will still fight your battles for you. See, we get in a valley time. It, it, I'm trying to like find it, figure out a way to say this like effectively, but it's easy on a mountaintop experience to feel like we'll never feel alone again. But then we go into the valley and we can't find God at all. And no matter how much we pray and no matter how much we read our Bibles, we literally just don't feel like he's there anymore. And there's stuff going on. Maybe it's something that's happening with your family. Maybe it's something that you did. Maybe it's something that you earned. But I want to tell you this. No matter what you've done, God is right there waiting. He will fight your battles for you. And when it's all said and done, you'll just have to stand back and be like, it's Jesus. When it's all said and done, the only one that can get glory or praise for what God brought you through is him. Because he's going to make it obvious that it's about him, that it's about his glory. Can I have everybody bow your heads and close your eyes?